Thank you. Uh, turn, if you will, if, uh, to the book of Daniel. And if not, uh, it'll be up on the screen. This book was written uh, 2,600 years ago, but it is unbelievably relevant uh, for us uh, today. And before we read uh, from Daniel chapter 1, uh, I want us to understand why it is so important and, and why it's so relevant for us today. Uh, today we uh, conclude a series called Guardrails. We've been looking at some of the things that God tells us not to do. <laughs> They're like the guardrails, okay, along the highway. There's danger on the other side. And we've also looked at the fact that the guardrail's there, but you, you don't want to run into the guardrail. That's why the Department of Highways paints white lanes. That's the safety zone, to stay inside of those. And we've talked about having our own white lines, our personal convictions, our standards for ourselves, for our family, because God then can really work and protect us. Now, Guardrails, one of, the, one of the problems is, of course, nobody wants to crash into a guardrail, uh, but sometimes we get awfully close. Now, I have had hundreds, maybe thousands of people ask me a question like this. Like, Pastor Ron, um, you know, I'd really like to do such and such. Uh, can I do that without sinning? And, you know, nobody's ever asked me, Pastor Ron, how can I live so that I am as far away from sin as possible? See, our human nature wants to kind of get as close as we can without going over the cliff. And our human nature also thinks that doing what God tells us to do, you know, like praying, like serving, uh, like loving one another as we love ourselves, I mean, you know, that really doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun. There are a lot of things in our world today that's, boy, that sounds like a lot of fun. The culture around us is always baiting us toward the cliff, telling us that, hey, we can go over the guardrail that God put up to protect us. It's not going to hurt you. I mean, that's just that old-fashioned stuff. I mean, it's not going to hurt you. It's not going to destroy your faith or your family or your finances or your future. Our culture baits us toward the future, It's toward the cliff. It's always been that way. And that's why we're going to read from Daniel 1 today. It's about a teenager, a teenager named Daniel who lived in 600 B.C. And we find this story in Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, who is the king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now, you remember, I'm sure, from your days in history class about the Babylonian Empire, okay? And I, but we're going to put a map up there. And you heard about King Nebuchadnezzar, the mightiest king of that empire, who ruled the world. And the Babylonian Empire was located in what's now Iraq, in modern-day Iraq, and some of you remember that Saddam Hussein, he wanted to be like a Nebuchadnezzar reincarnated and renew that kingdom. Well, back in 587 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar invaded Israel, and he destroyed the capital city of Jerusalem. 
you know, and I, I find it very interesting that a lot of people say, well, you know, the Bible, is, it's not a historical book at all. I mean, it's just full of myths and inaccuracies and stuff like that. No. See, because those two men are cited, we know the date this, this occurred. And secular history confirms that Nebuchadnezzar ruled at that time, the same time as King Jehoiakim, and that he destroyed Jerusalem. So, friend, God would not let what he wants us to know be full of lies and myths. He loves you. He wants you to know. Verse 2. So Nebuchadnezzar comes to Jerusalem, and, uh, and he destroys it. And, uh, and the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylon and put them in the treasury house of his God. And, you know, I, some of us as Christians, we kind of really kind of struggle with that. Why would God let God's temple be destroyed by a godless emperor? Well, we know the reason. God's people had stopped obeying God. They had ignored the guardrails that God had put up for them. And God, for hundreds of years, had sent prophets to them to warn them that if they didn't repent, that their temple would be destroyed and their nation would be destroyed. You know, and it's really sad, as a modern-day parallel, you know, many churches are being destroyed. Not, not by foreign enemies but by church splits and by scandals and by sin. And churches are destroyed by this, when the sinful culture around us gets in us. Well, what happened? Verse 3, Then the king, Nebuchadnezzar, ordered Aspenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature and science and everything else of the Babylonians. These verses here is very interesting. They tell us why Nebuchadnezzar's empire was so powerful. Nebuchadnezzar hit on a brilliant plan. When he conquered a city, he didn't destroy everything and kill everybody. He'd take the best and brightest people in that city and take them back to Babylon with him. And then he'd put them in a training program that would strip away their culture and indoctrinate them into the Babylonian culture. Now, and you might be wondering, well, yeah, okay, but they're still captives. How did Nebuchadnezzar get all these captive foreigners to buy in and become loyal citizens of Babylon? Well, he simply bribed them. When the captives were being dragged across the desert, 500 miles from, from Jerusalem to Babylon, uh, well, they assumed they were going to be slaves doing backbreaking work in the scorching sun till they dropped dead. But what happened when they got to Babylon? Verse 5. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. 
Were they shocked? Instead of moldy bread and water, they were fed five-course meals. Instead of being slaves, they were students in the University of Babylon in a three-year Ph.D. program free of charge. When they graduated, they'd get the best and highest-paying jobs in the government for the rest of their lives. No wonder they bought in. Free five-course meals, a doctor's degree, powerful and prosperous positions in the government. I mean, that's the way it was when you went to college, right? Everything was free. You were guaranteed, you know, a, a lifetime job. Uh, no? Okay, not for me either. Nebuchadnezzar was very brilliant. And then Nebuchadnezzar did one, number, one more thing to get their buy-in. Verse 6. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah. Daniel, and he had three friends. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them what? New names. New names. Daniel, he was renamed Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Abednego. Excuse me, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar changed their names. Now, why did he do that? Because Daniel, in Hebrew, means... God is my judge. And he was renamed Belteshazzar, which is Bel, protect my life. This is not the character in the Disney movie, Bel, all right? This is Bel, who was one of the gods. In fact, the main god of the Babylonians. Hananiah, which means the Lord shows grace, was named Shadrach, which means servant of Aku, the moon god. Mishael, which means who is like God, was renamed Meshach, who is like Aku. And Azariah, which means the Lord's help, became Abednego, servant of Nego, the god of learning. Nebuchadnezzar changed their names from names that honored the one true God to names that honored the false gods of the Babylonians. So Nebuchadnezzar gave him a free education. He wanted to change their world because he wanted to change their worldview. He gave them rich food to change their lifestyle so that it would be one of pleasure and privilege. Did this all work? Well... For most people it did. For most of the captives it did. Hey, who wouldn't want to be interested in that? But did, Dan, did it change Daniel? Did Daniel cross over and become like the unbelievers around him? Verse 8, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in, the, in that way. Now, <laughs> Why in the world would he turn down expensive wine and five-course steak dinners, all right? The, the text doesn't really tell us, does it? A couple possibilities are these. One, uh, that food had probably been first offered to their god, Marduk. But you know, idols don't eat a whole lot. 
So there's no sense wasting that food. So then it was given to people. All right. But it'd probably been offered, dedicated to them. And the second thing is that God had given his people dietary laws. Why? Because it would be a sin to eat something, you know. Okay, they weren't supposed to eat meat that where the animal didn't chew the cud and split the hoof. All right, was it a sin to eat those things? No, but it wasn't good for them. And God wanted them to be healthy and strong. See, God's laws are laws of love. They're for, they're for our good. They're not, they're not to take away our fun or our enjoyment or our pleasure. And God had given those dietary laws to his people. And Daniel loved his God. Daniel wanted to serve his God. Daniel wanted to honor his God. Daniel wanted to do everything that God asked him to do. And you see, Daniel realized what was happening here. Why he was being offered all these privileges. He knew if he went along with the world around him, this new world around him, that one day he'd wake up and he would be Babylonian through and through. That he'd be worshiping the gods of the Babylonians, of his world. That he'd be absorbed right into a culture that did not disobey, that did not obey God. Daniel recognized what most of us miss, that compromising with what God had decreed is not good for us. It's dangerous. It's deadly. And you say, again, human nature, it's just human nature for us to think, well, you know, it's not going to hurt me if I do this one time. Daniel knew better. A, a compromise doesn't satisfy us. It only weakens our resolve. You know that. If you cheat once, it's easier to cheat the second time. If you compromise with alcohol or drugs or gambling or whatever it might be, it's going to be easier the next time. Daniel realized, listen, they changed my clothes, they changed my name, they changed my habits, they changed my schedule. I see where this is going. They want me to abandon my God as my sovereign. They want me to abandon God's word as my standard for life. And he resolved not to do it. Daniel realized that's what culture wants to do. If there is a culture that does not want to honor, follow, and obey God, and you live in that culture... They are going to urge you not to do so either. Have we realized that? We think, well, yeah, but I'm a Christian. I, I, I'd never let that happen to me. I hey, I know I, I, I do some things that God warns me not to do, but it's not going to turn me away from God. But unfortunately, the Bible is full of the stories of people that it did. That's why God gives us guardrails. That's the reason for the thou shalt not. Because they are not good for us. And to stay away from those, it's important for us, each of us in our situation, in our context, in our family, in our whatever it might be, 
to paint those white lines. I'm not going to cross this line. You see, that's what refusing to eat the king's wine and eat his meat was all about. It was a white line. No, I'm not going there. No, it wouldn't be a sin for me to eat and drink those things, but I'm not going to do it because I will not become a Babylonian who worships false gods. Friend, why does God give us guardrails? Is he wants to take away our fun, our enjoyment, our pleasure? No, he gives them to protect us from the consequences of disobeying God. He gives us guardrails to direct us in the great things that God wants to do. You see, and that's where we want to go now. We're talking this morning about guardrails of greatness, of living the great life that God designed us for and God calls us to. Great things. And it illustrates so beautifully, so perfectly in these four teenage guys who refuse to compromise, who refuse to jump over the guardrail that God had placed when the culture around them urged them and pressured them to do so. So what happened? Let, let, let's read the rest of the story. Verse 9. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, well, <laughs> Daniel, okay, I understand. You don't want to eat that meat and drink that wine. But I'm afraid of what the king's going to do to me if you don't. The one who's assigned you the food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? You see, they thought, oh, man, this is rich food. This is really going to make you strong and healthy. The king would have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over him and Hanani and Mishael and Azariah, okay, I understand your plight, your predicament, okay, but do this, please, test us. Test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the other men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So the official agreed to this and he tested them for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine that they were to drink, and he gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions about the future and dreams of all kinds. And at the end of time, set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar, and the king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hanani, Michelle, and Azariah. So they entered the king's servant. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his cold kingdom. This test. Ten days. Ten days. Now, I, I just want to ask you a question. Again, the Bible doesn't tell us. But do you think, after ten days, when those guys, those three, those four guys, look so much better than all the others, do you think that a diet of ten days did the trick? Or do you think maybe kind of God was involved in that also? 
I actually think it's both. I mean, hey, vegetables are better than meat, right? Now, I didn't say tasting. I didn't say, I said they're healthier. Excuse me, okay? I eat meat. I like meat, but okay. But aren't vegetables healthier? Absolutely. But you know what? God was involved. They wanted to honor God. And God wanted to honor them. And he wanted to work in their life. And he wanted to make their life the best it could be. And friend, that's what God wants to do for you and for me. When God gives us a guardrail, it's not because he wants to keep you down. It's because he wants to lift you up. He wants you to experience the great things that he created you for. And do great things in you that, that count for eternity. Not just right now. Not just for this life but forever and ever and ever. What great things. What did God do in Daniel's life? Because he refused to ignore the guardrails that placed up. Well, when Daniel was ordered to stop praying to God, did he cave into the pressure? No, he continued to pray. And as a result, God delivered him from the lion's den. You know that story. And the Babylonians saw that the God of Israel was the one true God. Daniel became the second most powerful man in the empire next to only Nebuchadnezzar himself. A Jewish slave. Second in command in the Babylonian empire. And near the end of his life, Daniel wrote a book. It didn't make the Babylonian Times bestseller list, but it made God's list. It's one of the 66 books in the Bible. It's truth. It's God's truth. Friend, if you want to know when Jesus Christ is coming back, read the book of Daniel. If you want to know what the future holds, read the book of Daniel. Because God gave him that wisdom. God honored him in that way. Wouldn't you like to let God do all the great things in you that he wants to do? The challenge is this. We're not going to experience all those great things if we ignore the guardrails. His laws of love to protect us and to direct us. It won't happen if, we, if in our personal lives we don't paint those white lines. So we're not flirting with the guardrails. Healthy, strong people, people who uh, succeed, they have personal convictions that they won't surrender when the world around them is pressuring them to do so. They're not going to be pushed over the cliff spiritually, emotionally, relationally, and financially. We paint those white lines. Now, now when we do, <laughs> we're thinking, oh boy, I'm going to miss out on some of the fun here. We're thinking, oh no, people are going to think I'm crazy. People at work are going to call me one of those religious fanatics or something. But God, God will protect you. God will direct you. Daniel painted a white line. He didn't eat the king's food and drink the king's wine because 
of that God made Daniel. And because of that, God made Daniel one of the greatest men who ever lived. Daniel was a man who changed the course of human history in the Babylonian Empire and those that it impacted. That's greatness. But if Daniel hadn't made that decision, <laughs> we wouldn't be telling this story. There would only be 65 books in the Bible. There would be a wealth of knowledge about the future that we would not know because Daniel's book would have been missing if he'd surrendered, if he hadn't painted that white line. So the question for you and for me is, are we going to do the great things God tells us to do or the things the world tells us to do which will bring destruction to our lives? Friends, your culture is not going to help you get close to God. The Bible talks much about a world view and values that are got not God's world view and values. I hope we are smart enough to realize that our culture is not going to help us get closer to God. In fact, it's going to many times hinder us from doing so. And like Daniel, we've got to decide. Will you compromise, cave in, crash over the guardrail? Or will you stay in the safe zone of God's protective love and direction for our lives? Now, I know for some of you this is just seems way too extreme. Live by God's word? Uh, I don't think so. I know for some of you, you think that's really weird. But your life here on earth, in fact, was said on the, by the Lowe's earlier, your life here on earth will be so much better if you paint those white lines that keep you from danger, spiritual danger, financial danger, physical danger, emotional danger, marital danger, family danger. God speaks to all those issues in our life. God cares about every aspect of your life rather than going along with the culture that wants to push you over the edge. Will you be like Daniel? Getting close to God and staying there. Observing those guardrails. Thanking God for his love and his protection over us. So what's, what can we do? This is Thanksgiving week. You probably haven't thought about thanking God for the things he tells you not to do. This would be a good week to do that. Thanking God that he cares so much that he wants to keep us from suffering. And he tells us what will hurt us and what will help us. Thank God. Thank God for guardrails that protect us, that direct us into the great things that God has for us. And paint some white lines. Paint some white lines that will protect your faith in God. Paint some white lines that will protect your family spiritually and, and relationally. Paint some white lines in your finances. 
Paint some wine lines for, for your future, your forever future. Thank God for his guardrail. God, I thank you so much for a man like Daniel, this teenage guy who when taken as a captive slave looked up in the face of his God and said, I am not going to turn my back on you. I am going to be pressured by my world to surrender all my values, to surrender my faith in you, to, to totally disregard your word and your standards for my life. God, you created me. I want to honor you. I want to serve you. I want to live for you forever. God, help us to be like Daniel. God, I thank you for the guardrails. There's some things I read in the Bible, and I really don't want to do those things. But they're for my protection. They're for the protection of, of, of my marriage. They're for the protection of my family. They're protection of my finance. All the areas of my life, God, I praise you that you love us enough to give us your divine guidance because you and you alone know. God, I want to thank you for this body here of believers. My brothers and sisters here, we're trying to live this Christian life together. It's not easy. We live in a world that's very much opposed to many things of Christianity. God, we want to be faithful to you. You create us. We want to be faithful to Jesus Christ. He came and died in our place so our sins could be forgiven. We want to follow your son Jesus today and every day and all the way to heaven. God, thank you. Thank you that you're, that's your plan. And a friend, while your head is bowed, your eyes are closed, and no, no one's looking at you except God, the God who loves you, the God who sent his own son to die in your place. He loves you. He wants you as your chi his child. He, he wants you to follow Jesus. Because Jesus is the only one who's going to be open heaven, able to open heaven's gates. And God wants you there. And today, accept Jesus as, as the one who saves you from your sin. And the one who leads you in God's plan and perfect will for your life. And dear Father, thank you that you create us for greatness. Not greatness as the world might value it. But greatness in your eyes, greatness that lasts forever. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for doing all these things for us through your son, Jesus Christ. And we praise you in his name. Amen.